Support for Great Minds is provided by The Wine Store, located at 1200 Central Avenue in Naples. The Wine Store offers a unique selection of wines from small production, artisan, and family-owned wineries. Their in-store wine education center hosts classes for the novice and connoisseur alike. Details are at thewinestorenaples.com. Hi, and welcome to Great Minds, a wine-centric podcast where two wine-loving friends take a look beyond what is in the glass. We dig a little deeper. We look at the stories behind the wine, the people behind it, the culture, and a little bit of history as well. I'm Gina Birch. And I'm Julie Glenn. This week, we're talking about the business side of wine with the looming specter of a 100% tariff on French goods. That includes sparkling wine, several cheeses, and other disparate items. The United States wine industry has been lobbying feverishly, hoping to convince the United States trade representative not to put the threatened hikes in place. Today is the last day for comments to be submitted, but Congress members are still hearing from industry leaders who are opposed to the tariffs. There's now a group of Republicans who've come out against the administration's tariffs, and the top domestic and European trade groups for wine have signed a joint statement against them. An earlier 25% tariff was already slapped onto all European wines back in October. There isn't a firm deadline yet for this one, but it can be implemented any time in the next few weeks. So this week we're talking So this week we're talking with Dr. Thomas Smythe, a professor of finance about tariffs, the th- you- so this week, we're talking with Dr. Thomas Smythe. He's a professor of finance. We're talking about tariffs, the unique three-tier distribution system for alcohol in the U.S., what competition from imports does for a domestic market, and how tariffs have impacted that with other goods. We'll also learn who will really be hurt by a 100% markup. So this round of tariffs, can you give me like a, a quick brief primer on this tit-for-tat that we've been seeing unfold? Yeah, so it, I mean, it it really started, you know, eighteen months ago. In fact, I was um, living in Brussels uh, at the time that uh, the first sort of layer of uh, tariffs were going to be imposed, and it, it at least in the broad general conversation, the assumption uh, was that all goods would be uh, uh, have a tariff uh, placed on them uh, equally. Well, that's not really how. Uh, the game has been played. In fact, what we've seen is that um, both the U.S. and uh, some of uh, its counterparts have very uh, specifically targeted certain types of products, usually that have some kind of significant visual or emotional uh, reference uh, for um, one country versus the other. Um, uh, during the election of uh, 2018, um, the Chinese, for instance, targeted products that came out of uh, significant political regions. So those represented by Nancy Pelosi, Paul Ryan, uh, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, and others. Um, and of course, now uh, we're here to talk about uh, tariffs on, on wines, and very specifically, uh, that is a significant uh, standout product uh, from the French perspective. Well, this was a um, the targeting the wines came in response to a French tax on digital. Correct. So that tax on digital products 
mainly focusing on, I guess, California mm-hmm. and Washington state of um, those political those are political arenas that France sought to do some damage on the current political electorate there, or the well the elected it, officials from that area. France may not have chosen that route. I would argue that uh, our response has been much more politically targeted. Um, that it certainly uh, when I was in uh, Brussels, the, the European Union has a much um, more developed idea of privacy as it applies to the digital space uh, than we do here in the States um, in, in, in a lot of different ways. And um, when I was in, in Europe, uh, Apple, um, Google, um, all those companies that seem to be sort of invading uh, that digital space – uh, we're really under intense scrutiny, Facebook uh, yeah. in particular. Um, and I, th- I think, at least in part, um, this was the French response to that more broadly, probably not quite as politically motivated okay. as our response has been. So our response has been politically motivated to put a tariff on a weird list of just arbitrary, strange little things mm-hmm. like Emmentaler cheese – Sparkling wine, but not still wine. Um, just it's, it's really and an, an bone china, chi- uh, and cast iron enamel coated pots and pans, mm-hmm. leather handbags with or without a strap. I mean, and all these really strange, very specific items, and they are now targeted for a one hundred percent tariff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so, one hundred percent of what the the item costs. So if you got a fifty dollar bottle of wine, the, the tariff on it's gonna be fifty dollars. Yep. It's gonna cost a hundred dollars now, at least. So if if you if you think about it, um, the certainly the way this administration has operated in a, on a variety of fronts, uh, from how it communicates um, to some of its policies, they appear to want to get the biggest rise that they can out of whatever policy uh, they're taking. So in this case, um, my guess is the French are going to stand up and be extremely upset about their wine industry being targeted. Uh, In any other industry that has a very um, popular um, view uh, here in the U.S. uh, and abroad. Right. So they're they're trying to create the 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 thing that stands out the most, even if it may not be, for instance, the largest import Mm -hmm. from a dollar perspective uh, from France. But it has this um, uh, status uh, view uh, that people will stand up and recognize. There's a couple of different ways also to take this. It could be uh, calculated public relations. Mm way of doing things. Correct. But then there's also the economy of the wine industry mm-hmm. that needs to be kind of dissected here. So first, just t- thinking about public relations and politics and people's feelings and opinions of others. When you look at champagne, sparkling wine from France is generally champagne. There's also the Cremants and the Limoux, which was the favorite of Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> in fact. But when you look at all the things that are being targeted, high-end handbags, well, whatever end handbags, but the ones that are exported are going to be a little bit more expensive. Um, champagne, is that – could that be because the people who are consuming these goods don't get a lot of sympathy 
from a certain sect of individuals? Yeah, I think there's certainly uh, that aspect of it, right? I mean, my guess is uh, the people that consume uh, fine French wine um, are going to be considered those that are higher societal class. The one percenters or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and therefore certainly the the masses that the politicians are targeting in the grand scheme of things just aren't going to have a lot of sympathy for them or yeah, whatever. No. I think the other aspect though is we're targeting uh, industries in France or Italy or Germany that may have a strong voice as it applies to their governments. So the wine industry likely has a very strong voice uh, in um, uh, uh, lobbying the French government. And so to the extent that, you know, a lost uh, uh, revenue stream uh, hits them more, then in fact they may put pressure on the French government to um, back off of the uh, digital tax or, or whatever it is. And again, when it's a high-profile item in particular, it's likely to get more press, more um, um, uh, coverage in the media, both in France and here in the United States. And then, you know, we, we saw the tariffs and how they worked out for farmers throughout the Midwest and a number of farms closing down. Hmm. Uh, people just didn't really talk. I mean, they talked about it. Oh, that's terrible, but that's it. Um, and there wasn't as much of an in industry outcry because just small individual players. Correct. Which they don't have the powerful co-ops like they do in European countries. Correct. Uh, which have more of a political pull. Mm -hmm. The thing about the economy that's interesting that I uh, I don't think a lot of people understand about the wine industry is that ever since the prohibition, we've had a three-tier system here where if you're importing wine, it has to go through an importer and then a distributor. Sometimes those can be the same. Then it has to go to the retailer, and then it goes to the consumer who then buys it, takes it home, and drink it, drinks it, or a, re a restaurant where you have it there. So there is uh, a lot happening that's required by federal law when a wine is going from the French countryside to the restaurant table or the shelf at the wine shop. And because of that, the margins in the wine industry are remarkably low. Um, except for in restaurants, it's a little bit higher, um, well, significantly higher. But when you're buying a, a, a retail wine, the guy buys it for $10, he will charge you $13 for it max because you can go down the street and find it cheaper because mm -hmm. so, it's kind of the industry standard. The problem with this is you end up with small retailers that can't absorb the additional tariff costs and small distributors who can't afford it either because they're not adding a lot to it either. They can all they do is enough to pay their people and keep the lights on and keep the trucks on the road to get stuff delivered and maybe make a little. <laughs> One guy said, "You know, you live like a millionaire and drink like a millionaire when you're in the wine industry, but you never become a millionaire." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that said a number of times. Yeah. But in the end, a tariff like this, it has been said over and over again by people in the wine industry, is going to be damaging to these small distributors that are usually a lot of times family businesses, and it's going to be damaging to small retailers. Um, but who it will not hurt is giant conglomerates who Correct. can easily take their products to other export markets outside of France. Well, and not, not only that, if you think about uh, the distributors, what it does is it, is it pushes us to um, those uh, – a model where um, distribution becomes sort of single source. And I, I don't mean single source, but many, many 
fewer sources. Yeah, people uh, that can handle volume. Yeah, that's exactly right. They they may ha- have the capability uh, to absorb uh, the the losses if they perceive them to be short term. When I say short term, maybe a year or two uh, before something like this gets reversed. Uh, but they're more likely to be able to absorb that kind of loss relative to a small uh, family-owned, you know, distributor or retailer or, or whatever it is. These other larger conglomerates are also likely to have other um, revenue sources that may not be impacted uh, by these tariffs that, again, allow them to sort of ride out the storm. Uh, Fundamentally, uh, what we uh, end up seeing uh, is less competition. Um, And over the long term, uh, that's actually probably the bigger uh, problem. So if, if we migrate to um, uh, a, a smaller subset of larger distributors, um, what I can almost guarantee is that the price of wine uh, will go up in the short term because of the tariffs and likely will not come back to pre-tariff levels because you have less competition in the industry. So as a result, they can and maybe less product being exported towards the United States because sure. they already found other markets to absolutely. buy it. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's not like China isn't thirsty for French wine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're the expert in uh, French wine. Oh, oh, they love it. No, I don't know <laughs> if I'm an expert for sure. I know I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm a fan of all of them. But um, I just and take me back to um, the tariff war that we had with cars and how that impacted competition. So, if for for those of you who are you know, certainly uh, above the age of uh, 35 or 40, prior to about... Gen X. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Certainly my generation. um, When I was a kid, American cars, pardon the language, were crap. Uh, They they broke down. They pretty much had to buy a new one every four or five years because uh, the thing was run down. And uh, starting in the 1980s, in large part because... Uh, Japanese manufacturers realized they couldn't import, they actually started building plants here in the United States. Uh, And what they did is they brought the quality product uh, that they were manufacturing, whether it was Honda or Nissan, Toyota. Uh, And what we saw is that for the same price, we could get uh, a car that lasted eight or nine years uh, and didn't have the same maintenance costs because it was built better. Uh, and those kinds of things. Well, U.S. manufacturers took a hit. And what they realized is that if they were going to stay in business, they would actually have to improve the quality of of their product. So the introduction of the uh, Japanese cars into the U.S. market actually raised the quality of all cars in the U.S. market. And, of course, now um, U.S. manufacturers, certainly in different um, uh, different parts of the automobile market are as strong or in some cases stronger uh, than foreign competitors. But the key is once we opened up that market, it raised the level uh, of that competition to, to a point where all consumers benefited. With tariffs, any kind of uh, uh, trade restrictions that go in place, especially when we're talking about sort of a, a broad system of them like we're, what we are now, um, ultimately, in, in the short term, consumers lose 
uh, because they lose choice, they lose probably lower cost products. But the real long-term uh, negatives of, of trade wars are the loss of competition and innovation. Uh, typically, if we close off our markets to foreign imports, um, we can get pretty fat and lazy uh, where we don't have to innovate uh, because if there's a 100% tariff on French wine, well, guess what? I can raise the price of my domestic wine 99%, still be cheaper, and do absolutely nothing with quality or product innovation uh, going forward. Uh, so over the long term, uh, the, the real loser from the consumer's perspective is the lack of competition that we'll see uh, in, in the U.S. market. And this is across all products. Yeah, but it's interesting because the arc of the um, American wine palette is in a position right now where we have gotten some enough diversity where we under uh, where uh, wine fans in the United States understand the difference between a Burgundian Pinot Noir and an Oregon Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. It's not like buying a flathead nail or a screwdriver Correct. or whatever. And so, but but that understanding of the American palate of European wine and American domestic wine. Um, that has caused domestic wine quality to improve dramatically. Exactly. And that, that's similar to what we saw with the car market. Cars, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you bring up a good point. And we're not talking about commodity products here. We're talking about uh, whether it's high tech or the refinement in um, wine or, or, or biomedicine, you know, whatever the products are that require complex uh, ideas and innovation – that's where we will lose. It's not in the manufacturing of nails, as you as you pointed out. Uh, those commodity products are likely we, we can probably uh, get them at a, a relatively cheap price. But even there, to the extent that we close off uh, the import of steel, for instance, um, it gives the nail manufacturer the capability to raise prices, even though their product is in fact not doing anything different. <laughs> it's already in boxes and ready to be yeah, sold. That's exactly right. But to circle back to where we first started, which was these highly targeted, seems kind of arbitrary mm -hmm. if you don't know what the goal is, the end goal is, mm -hmm. these items and these products, it's interesting that um, these are things that are attached to culture mm -hmm. and history and pride in France. Mm -hmm. These are things... They've been making this cheese the same way. I mean, uh, Parmigiano-Reggiano is on here. In Parma, these are people who go to work every single day of the year, never take a vacation. I've interviewed. I've talked to these guys. They live for what they're doing, and they're being told you can't export there. Well, and, and if you think about it, that's exactly why they're targeting them, right? That it will likely create uh, a sense of frustration in what – the political goal would be is that that frustration would then translate, lead, yeah, to mm -hmm. pressure on the government or or whatever. Interesting. A point you mentioned that I, I think is interesting, uh, though, is the pride aspect uh, of a particular region and what they do and the excellence that they drive. I think uh, that might be one of the areas where these targeted tariffs may be a miscalculation, in the following sense. Not only do those uh, people have a pride about what they produce, I would be willing to bet that they have a pride about their country 
uh, in ways. And, and unless you've you know lived to, lived abroad or uh, uh, certainly in Europe, where there's such a rich cultural heritage to each and every country you go to, while they may be upset with the government, fundamentally country matters. Uh, and I'm not sure our politicians necessarily understand that level of um, national pride. Uh, I don't think you'll see these producers lashing out at their government in a way that the U.S. government might want. Yeah, I don't think they'll be mad at the government so much, but they will definitely be not pleased. I mean, I can't imagine the United States getting all upset because Wisconsin cheddar can no yeah. longer be exported. <laughs> yeah. no. But in Italy, they're going to be mad, Absolutely. even if they're from Sicily, yeah. which is very far away from Parma. They will be mad about and, that. And, and that's what and that's that's what I mean. I I, I don't think uh, while the United States has you know many many benefits, one of the things that because of the size of the country and uh, the youth of the country, yeah, too. we we just don't have quite a as an emotional attachment, certainly that I experienced when I was living in Europe to products, yes. to food products yes. and cultural products, or even fashion or absolutely. Art. But what we do have a huge attachment to is freedom. Yes, that, yeah, <laughs> you that, challenge right. that in one second, you're, <laughs> you're yeah, going yeah. down. Yeah, that's a good point. But um, but that's what's really I think hurting a lot of people with this wine import thing because there's not a lot of freedom in the wine industry as far mm -hmm. as how you get your product. Mm -hmm. You are uh, regulated, I think, more than a lot of things because of the alcohol mm -hmm. situation. Um, and it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Do you think that this is going to go through? I mean, I think yeah. they're thinking of implementing it as soon as tomorrow or later this week. Yeah, they I, I, I would argue that if for some reason I, I can't imagine – France backing down because I just don't think that's what France does. No. Um, as long if, if they don't back down on the digital tax, it will it will go through. Uh, I think, uh, and we've we've seen that time and time again uh, from from this administration. Um, and and what we're looking for is for the other side to blink. Uh, and for the most part, um, the Europeans haven't you know, been blinking uh, very generally. Uh, the Mexican government did blink, uh, at least in some regards. Uh, so we saw a lot of those tariffs not get imposed. Um, and, and again, I think this is where that sort of cultural heritage, cultural pride part uh, comes into play. The French may say, you know, we're willing to take this on. You know, the, this is a rich enough um, uh, heritage uh, aspect of our lives that we're willing to accept what you're what you're going to deliver. Um, yeah. and, and, and if we sell stuff to you, great. If we don't, we got a lot of other yeah, people we'll, ready to buy we'll, it. We'll take it somewhere else. Yeah. Great Minds is produced at WGCU Studios on FGCU campus in Fort Myers, Florida. Our partners for online media are Anna Bejarano and Tara Calligan. Technical production is by Mike Canary. Great Minds theme music for Zante is by Colin Mannon. To get in touch, check greatminds.org or call the Grape Line and ask a wine question that we can address on a future show. That number, 707-200-3632. Thanks for listening.